Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of October 2022, and is once again that very special time of the month wherein we do our very special Tales from the Shelf uh, event month. Uh, so, uh, in joining me in this good endeavor, I have my buddy Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast. How's it going, Brad? It's going great. Glad to be back. Uh, ready to talk about some movies in our collection. And, uh, you know, I, I will say I'll let you intro the uh, theme, but I didn't even until you said it's October. I was like, oh, I didn't even think about doing anything like horror related. But oh, well, too little too late, I guess. Next year. Yeah, that, that is that is what it is, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, Kyle and I, we, we set out to do a, a theme this month with reviewing Rob Zombie movies. Uh, not my choice, but it, it was a choice. <laughs> but um, as you may have noticed, uh, dear listener, and hopefully dear viewer, um, we have our graphic here in the center of the screen, which reads, uh, catching up on cinema, Tales from the Shelf, uh, The Rainbow Roundup. And essentially what a rainbow roundup is, is a, is a bullshit, bullshit string of words that I just happened to put together after Brad had uh, suggested the theme. But um, Brad, would you care to explain in greater detail what we're going to be doing today and in, in talking about our film collections? Yeah, well, I just had the idea. I can tell you, I was uh, walking to the dumpster one day and this idea just struck me when I was about to throw a bag of trash into the dumpster um, so maybe, maybe that's a sign that this won't be a good uh, idea, but we'll see. Uh, so the idea is that we are each taking a letter of, uh, no, a, a color of the rain. This is off to a great start. We're taking a color of the rainbow. So uh, a Blu-ray that has a red cover, a Blu-ray that has an orange cover, a Blu-ray that has a yellow cover, and so on and so forth until we have a rainbow stack of Blu-rays, a rainbow roundup. Um, so we're just going to, it's just going to be a very colorful episode. None of this black and white, boring, you know, noir cover crap. None of that. No, we're going all colors here, baby. Yeah. Uh, folks at home, just in case you're curious, we did have some horrendous like technical difficulties just prior to recording this. So if we're off our game, that is why. Don't feel so bad, Brad, uh, fucking up the rainbow roundup explanation. I know it's... It's very easy to accidentally say Rainbow Randolph. I know that's what I want to say mm. every time I say Rainbow Roundup. Um, but I fucked up the intro. You fucked up the Rainbow explanation. Like you said, we're off to a great start. Keep it moving. But yeah. Uh, so I can't speak for you, Brad, but in my case, um, a lot of my decision making was based almost purely on aesthetics where I was going for like purity of color, <laughs> I guess, for, for lack of a better term, where it's like... I was looking for the reddest of red spines that I had and the most orangey, the mm. most orange spines I had. Basically, like, the least cluttered. So if, yeah. if if I have text written on the spine, of which, you know, virtually every title I have is going to have that, I was looking for either whites or blacks, like monochromatic text uh, set, uh, set amid, like, a pure just color. Um, what was your process? Did you even have one? Uh, no, I was, I was pretty much shooting from the hip on this one. Uh, I just <laughs> kind of came in here and, uh, went and grabbed what, when the colors popped on the shelf, I pulled it off and, uh, I generally tried to match it where the spine and the front or back of the, uh, Blu-ray 
had the color pretty prevalently. Um, try, I had a, there was one that I pulled off, and it, like the spine was green, but then Shaun the Sheep movie, Shaun the Sheep movie, the spine was green, but then uh, the the front cover there wasn't a lot of green on it. So then I said, well, sorry, Shaun the Sheep movie, we'll talk about you some other time. So I didn't choose that one, but uh, yeah, I mine maybe won't look quite as uh, clean or pure as yours. Um, I mean, if that was the case, and maybe you have these, 100% Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 would have been the red and the yellow. Not to spoil maybe what you have, but I did not go with Kill Bill 1 and 2, although I think those would probably be the most clean ones I own. Um, so we'll see. We'll wait and see, I guess. Well, yeah, I think it's funny that we both have uh, yellow titles behind us that would yeah. actually probably work absolutely perfectly for exactly what we're doing today, but... I think we've both talked about those on previous episodes, so it's like, yeah, that's yeah, true. let's try something new. Yeah. Um, let's vary it up. Um, but yeah, this should be a lot of fun, and plus, you know, we finally have the video component uh, backing us up, so uh, I'm actually looking forward to actually seeing what these things will look like when we put them together. But um, that being said, I- I'm going to do my uh, hosting duty here and uh, do the uh, <laughs> custom of tossing Brad uh, directly under the bus uh, and ask that you please uh, serve up your first uh, pick. Uh, in this case, uh, we're doing, uh, was it red, orange, yellow, green, cyan, blue, and indigo. Uh, so we're going to be starting with red. So, Brad, what is your first uh, red pick? All right, my first red pick is, check out this for red. We're talking the Babadook. Look at the, look at all the red there. So red, right? So, <laughs> so red. What the fuck, Brad? So red. Right look out at, the gate, you're fucking me. <laughs> all the red, but hang on, hang on here. This is the, you know, this is the Blu-ray, but don't forget about the slip cover, the red slip cover. Oh. Here we go. I got, I got him. This guy was freaking <laughs> out. This guy was like, this guy fucked it up on the first one. No, the red slip cover. You can't forget about that. The Scream Factory exclusive IFC uh, slip cover. Now, uh, I do like the slip cover. You got the uh, pop-up book of the Babadook in there. How is that? I mean, that's pretty cool, right? That's beautiful. Not bad. It's in a word or it's in a look. You can't get rid of the Babadook. Um, so, yeah, this one, I mean, it's not like, again, it's not the most like, you, you said you're going for purity. I mine we're, Mine's going to be a little dirty. Mine's not going to be very pure. <laughs> I mean, like, let's just throw it, like, you know, obviously, if we're going rainbow, kill Bill, throw this Babadook crack up out of here, but I felt like that was too easy. That was the first ones that came to my mind was kill Bill, and I said, that's going to be too easy for me, so I had to go with something else. Um, I like the Babadook. Uh, I don't love it quite as much as everybody else did. I don't know if you were, like, I know you were live. I know you were around when this movie came out in 2014, but I remember this came out in, like, November or maybe December of that year. And uh, the hype train on this one was like, kind of like, it was like, this was like the thing. I f- and this, I do kind of feel like this, in a way, was a big early uh, kickoff movie for the prestige horror genre. Um, I, I do like it. I think it works as a horror film. I think in terms of it being like metaphorical, I think uh, some of that stuff is a little clunky, a little heavy-handed, doesn't totally work, especially with the ending. But I do like the concept. I do uh, think the main actress, uh, Essie Davis, I think her performance is quite good. And it does feel like 
we've seen a lot of films that are kind of similar to this, like the idea of uh, using a horror film as a metaphor for getting over grief and trauma. Um, but this one, at least in the current wave of that, uh, was early to the punch. And I do think it is a pretty well-made horror film. Uh, I, I do like watching it. And yeah, of course I got suckered into buying the, uh, the version with this on it. I mean, they made it seem like this was going to be a limited edition. And then months later, I would see like 15 of these at Best Buy. Limited edition, my ass. These were easy to find. Um, but that is my red, the Baba Duke for the Rainbow Roundup. Oh, that's a beautiful pick, Brad. I, I love the pop-up book uh, slipcover on that. Like it, It's fitting with the content of the film, and it looks quite nice on top of that. And also, I agree with you, I, I do think it's a quite good film. Um, we actually did review that for Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, I can't remember exactly when, but it was, uh, it was a good watch. Um, and you're absolutely right. I do think, like, I'd be really curious, actually, to see what, what the timeline of, of the horror trends were because trend, trends in cinema in general but like horror and action in particular are some of my favorite things to track uh, in the film world like i i'm really intrigued uh, by the idea of of following trends like like seeing the the flashpoint like the origin point for these things that give way to imitators and other movies exploring similar ideas like i'm mm-hmm. i'm really intrigued by the idea of uh iteration and refinement like it doesn't bother me very much at all uh to be kind of fed the same shit over and over and over again as long as there's minor variations that i can identify and appreciate um but the reason i say i'm curious like what the timeline was like is because like i'm thinking you're probably kind of right like it was towards the front end of like the the vich the witch and like the babadook and then what was um what was the movie that everything was a metaphor for like alzheimer's and and uh like generational trauma or whatever it was like a a grandmother and like a, a daughter and a granddaughter or something and there's like well there was a icky, uh, icky relic maybe if that's what you're thinking relic of. there it is i remember that one got yeah. a, a huge amount of hype as well although i seem to remember you not getting as much out of that as some of the other films of its ilk is that is that accurate yeah it didn't do uh too much for me but um just getting kind of burnt out on the same theme and same sort of thing over and over again but it was fine yeah no i i get it and you know it's it's become a meme at this point that like everything in contemporary horror is metaphorical for something but you know that's storytelling in general honestly it's just a a little bit more obvious these days yeah um but you know all that means is that we're like what two three years away from like well actually no we might actually be at at that moment in time brad because of uh the word of mouth success of terrifier 2 we may be getting we may be rounding a corner here where it's like okay let's stop talking about stuff and just start smashing stuff yeah (laughs) it's like let's let's go into more just like over the top just explicit like like physical horror as opposed to you know deeper metaphysical concepts and whatnot i i also feel like um this year two examples uh nope and barbarian both are definitely about things like obviously they're not, they're not like you know just you know terrifier too but they're not about like trauma and grief like they're actually it's like refreshing it's like oh here's a horror movie that's saying something that is different than what 
all these horror films have been saying for the last 10 years. Um, and I found that refreshing. So I think we are past the, uh, I think we're over the hump in my opinion. Yeah. I, I'm starting to get that sense too, that, the you know, trends by their very nature, they just, they can't last forever. Like every, I mean, trend trendy refers to something that was, you know, temporary. Um, so I'm curious, like exactly where we go with everything going forward. Um, but it does feel like we're starting to pull away from that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, Baba Duke's a fun. It's a not fun's not the right word, but um, I did quite like it. Um, and it's a very well put together movie in a lot of ways. And very very exceptionally well acted, and also just the kind of the minimalist presentation of its horror elements is commendable. Like they they accomplish a, a whole hell of a lot with very little. Um, yeah, so excellent red pick, Brad. I'm also wearing a red shirt today. I'm glad to see you uh, got in the spirit of things and also dressed up in bright colors. So uh, thanks for doing that, Trevor. (laughs) 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 I got you. Got him. All right. What's your red? Okay. Mr. Black Uh, T-shirt. Hey man, it's got my uh, it's got my family name on it. Fuck oh, off. all right. All right. <laughs> like my 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 auntie made this and put this in a care package from the island. Oh well, <laughs> this is a special shirt. It's I, even got a hole in the armpit. I couldn't have picked the worst <laughs> shirt to you know uh, make special. fun of. <laughs> I do have a red shirt, but I'm not wearing it. I'm sorry. That's all right. Uh, so I'm looking. At, so folks at home, if you're at all curious, and I know you're absolutely not, um, the breakdown of like the the colors for for my shelf was like, we got some deep reds going on over here. Like we got we got like a the height of a small child in terms of red picks. About half of that for oranges. Actually, quite a lot of yellows. A handful of greens. Almost no cyans. Uh, blues were actually hard because I was imposing a lot of like limitations on what I could and could not pick um, because th- the format is Blu-ray. Uh, there are an awful lot of films that have blue spines. <laughs> um, and then Indigo actually, I, you know, it's no surprise. Uh, purple has kind of been the in color. Like the kids are all about the purple. Like in the past two, two, three years-ish, like purple has been from an aesthetic standpoint from a design standpoint a lot of graphic designers a lot of graphic design firms have been making liberal use of all manner of purples uh, so it's actually not a shock to me that a lot of uh, more more contemporary movies have pr- like purple spines but okay enough stalling what's what's the pick gonna be so like i said i do have a f- fuck ton to pick from so this is actually kind of hard uh, so I'm gonna. Oh, so yours aren't finalized right now. Like your each no, pick. No, oh. I'm crafting this shit on the fly. Oh, okay. Uh, as is customary. That's why I make you go first, Brad. Uh, gotcha. So I can play off of you. Uh, so this is actually not playing off of you at all, really. Uh, <laughs> this is just kind of like, yeah, that'll work. Um, also, well, actually, no wait. This this kind of works. Um, so you said that was was that Scream Factory who put out the Babadook disc you had there? Yeah, Scream Factory with IFC Films, I think. Okay, well, I have here a Shout Select disc, or three of them, rather, but in one case. Uh, and I have here uh, the Street Fighter Collection. Mm. And that's the cover, and that's the spine. Nothing but reds with a little accent of orange and whatnot, but this is number 65. is a three-disc set, which just so happens to include three movies, all of which are part of 
the Street Fighter film series, uh, headlined by one Sonny Chiba. Um, so that would include, uh, was it the Street Fighter, uh, Return of the Street Fighter, and the Street Fighter's Last Revenge. Um, these movies are great if you're into this sort of thing. Um, I don't know, Brad, are you at all familiar with Sonny Chiba? Does the name mean anything to you? I know the name, but I, I don't think I've seen any of his, his works. Okay, well, you might actually you might actually enjoy these. I, I probably would, yeah. You you watch a lot of trash cinema. <laughs> I do, yeah. <laughs> you you eat a lot of garbage, Brad. <laughs> like that's that's essentially what most of Sonny Chiba's filmography is. Is he's these movies in particular uh, seem to be largely produced with the intent of cashing in on the blue the Bruce Lee craze uh, of the early seventies. Um, because he was, you know, an international icon. He was kind of at the zenith of his his popularity, unfortunately, like at least outside of Hong Kong and China around the time of his passing, which was very, very unfortunate. But in, in the wake of his death, there were any number of imitators that were coming out of the woodwork. And that also extended to Japanese cinema, where it's like, hey, we have there's a Chinese martial arts star out there. It's like, we, we have our own fucking martial arts culture as well. We may as well make movies that center around, you know, exploring that. And a lot of Sonny Chiba's movies are exploitation cinema. There's a reason Quentin Tarantino's a fan of his. Um, and uh, the Street Fighter films are kind of like my personal introduction to the guy. I, I started out reading about his films on a website called Stomp Tokyo. Um, I don't actually know if that's still in operation, but it was a source for a lot of bad movie reviews that i used to read like religiously after school in in like high school and whatnot and it just so happened that um with the release of kill bill uh, part one and two which brad had actually just mentioned <laughs> uh you know the, the the spines being you know colored very yeah. very cleanly um with the with the success of that film and and the impending release of it uh dvd distributors actually jumped on that because sonny chiba has a, he has a small role in those films uh, he plays hattori hanzo in them um and it was you know quentin tarantino's opportunity to work with this guy who i guess he kind of idolized i mean he worked he worked him he name dropped him in his script for true romance um and i do know that he has an appreciation for exploitation cinema all over the world but probably a lot of 1970s Japanese exploitation cinema is very much right up his alley. But um, around the time Kill Bill was coming out, they actually started releasing in the U.S. Region 1 uh, Sonny Chiba movies. Um, and I actually bought up a whole bunch of them. I still have a lot of them. Um, and I, I, I like them quite a lot. Uh, I'm a sucker for 1970s Japanese trash cinema in general. There's a look and a feel to it that it's not high quality, like in any way, <laughs> but there's a, a grit and a grime to it. And in particular, the, the, the sound of it is very specific and very comfortable for me. It's very cozy. Um, it was back in the day when when every movie had a brassy soundtrack where it's like it's like nothing in this movie has anything to do with jazz or disco. And yet this movie oozes jazz and disco. <laughs> it's like, I can't quite explain it. It's like, this movie's actually a World War II period piece about the Japanese fighting in World War II, but it's all about jazz and disco. <laughs> it just makes everything better. And there's boobs everywhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, this movie, these movies are fun. These movies are a lot of fun. They're, they're really, really, really trashy for sure. But 
they all like in terms of like martial arts choreography of the day like outside of like china and hong kong pretty decent stuff very uh rough and tumble style of choreography too where it's like you can tell some of these stunt people got their asses whipped um probably probably on accident honestly um but you know they've suffered for their art mm-hmm. um but yeah uh, i would recommend these and also this is a a timely pick being as um shout recently announced i think it's coming out next month uh, another sunny chiba box set um that i am absolutely going to get because it's almost i think it's entirely comprised of movies of his i haven't seen and don't own okay i could be wrong on that i'll need to double check what's in the box but last time i looked at it it was it was some good shit that i knew by reputation but have never had an opportunity to see how's the box look is it uh like how many films are in that one does it look like a pretty good set uh let's take a gander um so it is uh this could have like if this was a uh, Mill Creek release. Uh, I actually do quite like Mill Creek because of their Ultraman releases in particular. So not no shit talking to Mill Creek, but if it was from them, they would have put all these on one disc. <laughs> um, but this is it is yeah. three discs, so it is one disc per movie. Um, all of them have uh, art on them, which actually is directly lifted from the original poster art. Can confirm because I actually my brother got me a poster of the street fighter movie and i can't confirm that is what it looked like um yeah it's a it's a well put together package it's not the most luxurious um but i can say uh being as i uh i did actually i do actually own these films on dvd uh the transfer quality is very much hd by comparison <laughs> mm-hmm. nice yeah i mean shout factory they can be hit or miss, but when when they get it right, they they do a good job. Yeah, it's a shame about those uh those disc returns that they have seemingly like annually, where it's just like seemingly like once every year or two they they have some print just go to shit, and then they have to do like a a re- refund type situation. But mm-hmm. you know, if you produce anything in in as vast quantities as they do, it's it's just gonna happen. Uh, best thing you can say is that they seem to handle it really well every time it does come up okay brad well uh that was my red pick let's move on to orange all right my orange pick um now this one uh i've only seen this movie once so i don't know how much i'll have to say about it but uh it is very orange so it does uh it does absolutely fit it is the hunt the hunt which is written by my boy Damon Lindelof, who is just like, uh, just my boy. I mean, this guy wrote, created Lost, created The Leftovers, the Watchmen miniseries, all amazing bangers. Uh, Prometheus, which I love. And uh, every, this movie came out, I remember it was, you know, this was really one of the biggest casualties of COVID and theaters shutting down because it came out like, the weekend before theaters closed. So like people were like theaters were still open, but people weren't really going and then theaters closed. So this thing got like, it's release got really screwed. Um, I ended up seeing it that year later on at the drive-in. So that was a fun experience. It was nice to get out of the house. Um, and I actually had a pretty good time with the hunt. Um, I think in terms of it's, uh, it's message and it's handling of politics, 
it's not the most graceful, but um, I really enjoyed the violence in this. I thought it was overall just kind of pretty fun. I mean, it's not overly original, but I thought it had a good vibe. I really liked uh, the main actress, uh, Betty, Betty Gilpin, in it. I thought she was very good. And, you know, I did... I did like a lot of the, uh, the, you know, the snappy dialogue back and forth between some of the characters. Um, of course, uh, my boy Damon Lindelof, thanks for those. Um, I will say some of the scenes toward the end, not great for a drive-in viewing experience because um, there are quite a few uh, nighttime scenes in the second or third act. And honestly, could not tell you anything that happened in those. Uh, could not see them at all. But um, so this, this would be a good uh, one to pop in sometime and rewatch because um, part of it would be like watching it for the very first time. But um, it's also directed by, uh, what's his name? Uh, Craig Zobel. Craig Zobel, who is not my boy, but he's maybe like my acquaintance, I'd say. Like, you know, we're not that close. But uh, he did um, direct the movie Compliance, which I think is very uh, effective. I'm not going to say I like that movie because that uh, would be perverted. But it, I think it is a good film. And uh, he did direct some of the best episodes of The Leftovers. So I, uh, I, I, I like this one probably more than most, I think. I think a lot of people really didn't like this. But I, uh, I, I had a pretty good time with it. Yeah, actually, you you stole a pick from me just. Oh, <laughs> to it. Got him. <laughs> Got him again. Shit, I'm just getting slapped in the nuts every round. Um, yeah, no, I I did have the hunt set aside. Uh, this was this was a movie that I actually wanted to watch before I bought it, but then like like Brad had said, there were a lot of delays. There was a lot of hit, like bumps in the road for the thing even getting released. Um, so it just just so happened that i was like fuck it i'll blind buy the hunt why not um and actually i watched it uh with the girlfriend uh pretty early in our relationship and and we both thought it was pretty fun uh, i was really impressed with with uh, betty gilpin mm-hmm. uh, previously i had only seen her in stuber and she has a very small role in that but she did kind of stick out a little bit um like she she seems like a very talented actress that i just haven't seen her in much because i know i think she's a she was on that glow uh the the women's wrestling show yeah. on netflix yeah is that wrapped yet yeah that ended on its i want to say it was its third season um i never ended up finishing it to be honest but um yeah she was good on that well yeah, that's what i heard like like prior to me seeing her in in the hunt like i said i'd only seen her in stuber and then I heard that she was very, very good on that show. And I was like, when I got to The Hunt, I was like, oh, she parlayed some of those pro wrestling skills into the filming of The Hunt. Good for her. It's <laughs> part of the advantages of being an actor is that you pick up like fragments of skills along the way, depending on what roles you take. But yeah, The Hunt's fun. Uh, I, it's, I think you're absolutely right about the political commentary. It's not brilliant. It's not scathing in any way. It's, it's not going to change anyone's minds or get them to think introspectively about themselves and the people around them or whatever but it's fun and that's like that's all i really asked of it when i saw it and i I have it on my shelf Um, i will say not to spoil anything for anyone out there who gives a shit i'm not going to spoil plot points but they did oversell um the scrap between her and uh was it hillary swank at the end of that one Mm -hmm. um they did oversell it a little bit where it's like it the setup for it is actually really really good like the build-up to it is fantastic um but it's just 
it, it needed to get more crazy. Like, it needed to go totally fucking apeshit. Like, they needed to completely destroy that kitchen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that, w- that would have made me very, very happy if they, uh, if they did what Arnold did in to the restroom in True Lies to that kitchen, yeah, then you you would have you would have like a, a top tier recommendation from me. It's like that that would be my review. They fucking blew up that kitchen. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but it it's like it's a it's a nice little scrap, but it's it's not like a a top tier like lady fight, if you will. It, mm-hmm. It's a good scrap, but it's not on that on that level, but. Yeah, it it was it was a fun one. Um, actually, was thinking about rewatching it just a few days ago. I, I think it was because I was looking at my colored spines at the time, and it, I was like, "Huh, the hunt." I haven't watched that one in a while. Yeah, um, but yeah, uh, clearly a good pick, being as you stole it from me, you fuck. <laughs> yeah, I I need to re- I need to do a rewatch of this as well. Um, but yeah, sorry, uh, that's one orange down for you. So, good thing you got some backups do i <laughs> no i do i have lots of backups but yeah great great pick brad uh like i said i probably am gonna end up rewatching that one but um in light of brad jacking that one from me uh what am i gonna pick here so i have i do have quite a few oranges i have one that i can talk at brad about um and maybe santino if he's listening slash watching he would give a shit brad absolutely would not oh boy uh, so i'll spare you that yeah I, i'm not i'm not cruel brad i wouldn't do that <laughs> to you. um no let's go with this one so again not my first choice um but a good choice nonetheless uh so i have here a dvd sorry brad don't puke in your lap brad is not a fan of the dvd format just in case you're wondering what that joke's <laughs> about folks um so I have here a DVD that was given to me as a birthday gift, I think, in high school oh. uh, from one of my one of my classmates, a guy whose whose nickname his name in Japanese class was Ninja, assigned to him by the teacher. This kind of cool teacher. Anyway, I have here Barry Gordy's a very important Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. It's orange and yellowish spine yeah mostly pure orange but yes this is barry gordy's the last dragon starring ty mac who as far as i know has done maybe something else (laughs) i don't actually know i'm sure if you looked up his imdb i wouldn't be surprised at all if in like very recent years he was recruited to do somebody's like nostalgia projects or something um, because mm-hmm. this movie occupies that sort of role in a lot of people's minds. Like, this is very much a, a nostalgia movie. Um, it's not a good movie, not at all, but it's a, it's a whole hell of a lot of fun. Uh, the soundtrack is um, a huge part of it. It's one of those movies where, I mean, Barry Gordy, as far as I know, is a record producer, uh, not a film producer. Um, and this was, I think, Motown Records basically produced a movie or a, a feature-length music video, essentially, that also happens to be a pseudo-martial arts film. Okay. Um, so our main character is Bruce Leroy, uh, who is a Bruce Lee fan, um, who his quest is to attain a martial arts superpower called The Glow, which has its own theme song, which is fucking fantastic. Um, it, it kicks in at the last, like, during the last part of the movie, during the fight at the end. Um I forget. Was it a? 
was it Buster Rhymes uh, who dressed up uh, f- fairly routinely as the villain from this movie? Uh, the, <laughs> the, the, the the Shogun of Harlem, Show Nuff, Kiss My Converse. Um, I think it I think it was Buster Rhymes. I'm, I I completely apologize if that's the wrong hip hop personality um, that did that. Um, but Show Nuff even even removed from the last dragon is is one of those larger than life characters that i think a lot of people find themselves referencing without even actually knowing it because he does he does carry like a fairly large cultural footprint um but yeah the, the last dragon is a, is a lot of fun um if you if you like like electro funk uh from the mid 80s you'll find a couple of pieces of music that work for you in here um, and also, uh, keep an eye out for baby uh, Ernie Reyes Jr. Um, I don't imagine that name means much, if anything, to you, Brad. But uh, Kino uh, from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. Um, he was also one of the fellows on the rope swings in the, the Dwayne The Rock Johnson uh, headlined movie, The Rundown. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, he's he's kind of like Hollywood martial arts royalty, kind of. Um, but he's he's like a, a little kid in this, but he's, he completely steals the show. Um, in every scene he's in. I, I just pulled up the poster. Uh, can you confirm, is it true, that uh, our main character eats popcorn with chopsticks in this movie? Is that accurate? I'm fairly positive that is. Okay. Um, it, it's, I'm interested. It's actually, like, it's actually somewhat ahead of its time. Like, like these days on the internet, they refer to, you know, people as, like, Japanophiles or weebs or weeaboos or whatever. In this case, the character... Bruce Leroy is he's a he's a fan like he's a fan of of what he perceives to be like martial arts culture when in actuality he's just a fan of Bruce Lee movies and he kind of adopts that that aesthetic and that lifestyle just as a fanboy and he kind of gets it thrown in his face a couple of times in the movie where his his supposed master is just like a normal guy who's just like um but yeah when he gets the glow at the end the uh i don't know if they rotoscoped the effects work but it's such a cool effect (laughs) it's like every time he slaps people sparks come out of their face (laughs) and like i said the musical accompaniment that comes with it it, Brad, do you need like be, like after we're done with the stream, you you absolutely need to look up the theme song of the Last Dragon. It's yeah. spectacular. <laughs> it's like seven so, seven and a half minutes long. Oh, that's all right, all right. Um, so is it? It's mostly a comedic film then, like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah it it has it has martial arts sequences. Um, it has some it has footage of Bruce Lee movies in it um and straight up like sequences completely like paying homage to those films but on on the whole it is it is purely stupid fun like it never gets particularly violent it never gets particularly intense although the relationship between the record producer and um oh fuck what is her name i i ought to know this um is it, is it vanity vanity she, she was like one of she was like one of prince's uh uh backup singers or like part of his entourage or something yeah vanity's in this yeah um the relationship between the evil record producer and her is straight up creepy um but it's it's embedded in this otherwise like comic book saturday morning cartoon level stupid film um but yeah she's in there as well 
Yeah. Well, that's the first I've heard of it. That's uh, I might have to. I'm I'm intrigued. Yeah, I, I would I would recommend it. It's a good watch with a group of friends because it, it's impossible to take seriously, and it 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 is fairly fucking stupid. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, well that was my orange pick. Are we moving on to yellow then, Brad? We are. We are moving on to yellow, I believe. Um, and this one, I know it's a movie that I think you and I have talked about. Um, and I don't know if we've talked about it on here. Maybe we have. Who cares? Uh, it is. My yellow pick is One Cut of the Dead. One Cut of the Dead. The steelbook for the Shutter exclusive, whatever you want to call it. Um, this is a tough one to talk about, obviously, without uh, spoiling anything. But just to say that, to be fair, I've only seen it the one time. I do need to rewatch it. But it is one of the most creative zombie movies, but also just movies that I've seen in the last, like, ten years. Like, it is, uh, I, I knew that it was going to go into some places that I wasn't expecting. And uh, even then, I was still surprised at the turns it took. And it's a lot of fun. Um, I think the, the humor works. And... It's commitment to uh, the bit, for lack of a better term. It's commitment to what it's going for, how long it plays out that first act before it kind of reveals what the rest of the movie is going to be. It, it is impressive, it, and I think that's the reason mainly why it works, because it does commit to that for so long. Um, and, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It is, uh, it's, it's a good one, and, uh, you know... I like the steel book. I was glad when this got a uh, physical release. I mean, let's just say I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to call them out on here, but uh, Shutter, as far as I know, still uh, only streams up to 720p. So uh, I mean, if you if you ever have any hesitation about, oh, well, you can just watch it on Shutter. Uh, you should still buy them on uh, Blu-ray. Bump it up to uh, full HD. Yeah, actually, you just jacked one again from me, Brad. <laughs> I thought I, this one I expected to jack from you. I, I think I knew you had this one. Well, what's cute about this, and I'll, I'll actually show this on camera real quick. Um, what's cute is that uh, Brad and I actually both own this movie, but we own different versions of it. So Brad, obviously, he has the Shutter version, the domestic uh, U.S. distributed one. Um, I got mine through Third Window Films, uh, which is an Australian publisher, um, but it also has a yellow cover and a yellow spine. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, I think it's you know basically the same film, English subtitled and everything. But um, original Japanese title, Kamera o Tomeruna. So don't stop the camera or don't turn off the camera. Um, which is interesting because that title makes no reference to uh, anything of the dead or anything, mm-hmm. which, you know, uh-huh. um, but... Yeah, Brad, actually, uh, a long time ago, when this film was still relevant, um, <laughs> and I guess we, we won't spoil it now, but um, because it is it is, wor- is worth holding back spoilers on. It is a fantastic film. Um, a long time ago, Brad was telling me about it, but was like unable to talk to me about it because I hadn't seen it. Uh, and in fact, I hadn't seen this until about a month ago. Um, and I, I love it. Like, I, it's it's perfectly up my alley i feel like an asshole for not having watched it until very recently because i was well aware of it like everybody in my orbit was telling me about it and i owned it i just never watched it and um yeah i'm, I'm not gonna spoil you know everything about it but i'll just say like it, it is 100 like a movie made for 
someone like me. Yeah. Like I, I enjoyed every level of it. Um, and yeah, it's exceedingly well put together to the point that I actually went out of my way to, again, without having even seen that movie, um, kind of preemptively just buy the next thing that the director did. Um, I still haven't watched that either. Um, but now that I have that under my belt, I'm very, very excited to get to that. Um, because I was, I was blown away. Like the, just the effort. And as Brad had said, the commitment to the bit was highly commendable. Mm -hmm. And they seem like a filmmaker who has a lot of potential to do some pretty incredible things. Um, but yeah, Brad, uh, do you, do you want to say any more about the film or do you want to preserve the 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 sanctity of 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 one cut of the day I'll, I'll cap it there the only thing i want to say is it just made me think of because i haven't really thought of the two of them in the same zone um it weirdly reminds me of and i'm not going to spoil this movie either because i don't think you've seen this one yet uh barbarian which came out this year the idea of just two movies that play with the narrative structure in interesting ways um and i i it's cool that we're getting that and these it, both of them are the kind of film where you want to show it to people to see their reaction and the, their realization when they finally be like, oh, this is what this movie like is kind of thing. And um, that happened with Barbarian. I remember I saw it twice in theaters and I took my girlfriend to see it. And there's a moment where I was basically watching her more than the movie because I just wanted to see what her reactions were going to be. And if I uh, show this movie to somebody, it would be the exact same thing. There has to be like a, a personality trait or like just a characteristic of people that like when I when I think of like people who like make media or, or art or something, it needs to be exhibited in some way. Like I can't help but think of like magicians or magic tricks or something. Mm -hmm. There's like I share this as well. where like re revealing things or like being in the room to see the other shoe drop is so rewarding um, I, I don't know if there is like uh, like an actual term for that feeling or that type of personality that gravitates to that feeling, um, but I guess you and I share that because <laughs> yeah. I I, actually, I absolutely have tons of movie on movies on my shelf that I would love to watch again just so I could watch my watch the girlfriend watch it basically. Um, I, I, I that's a talk for a different day, but I, it's just one of those things I think is really fascinating. Yeah. Um, but obviously, fantastic pick, Brad. Once again, two for two. <laughs> you fucked me. <laughs> we'll see if I keep it going. Probably not. Okay. But... No, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay. So my yellow pick, um, again, in place of what was to be One Cut with the Dead, I'm going to do something easy that I can rant about um, rather than some of the more complex and probably far more interesting movies I have sitting at my feet right now. Uh, I'm going to go with Undisputed 3, colon, Redemption, Yellow Spine, Beautiful. Black Text, with a little bit a little bit of brick color there. Um, but it is also on DVD, so I guess I get negative points for that. But yes, it is very yellow. Um, this is actually fairly timely, being as uh, Scott Adkins' most recent film. Scott Adkins is this guy. Sorry for flipping you off, Mr. Adkins. I didn't mean that. <laughs> Nothing but respect. Um, he actually has uh, very recently released his most recent film, uh, which he serves as star producer, 
presumably caterer and also surprisingly uh one of the choreographers um, which is a credit i don't know that i've ever seen him have um, but it's a uh, accident man 2 uh, accident man hitman's holiday uh, which got a exceedingly limited uh, theatrical release at least in my region um, it was screening like 25 miles from where i live and only in the middle of the day on weekdays so you know as much as i love you bud can't do it uh, it, it couldn't it couldn't happen um but i actually am going to be renting that film uh, asap i'm really excited to watch it um it's it's been on my, it's been like on my most anticipated list for 2022 um pretty much the entirety of the year and now it's out um but this film undisputed three is of course sequel to undisputed two which is in turn sequel to undisputed um, <laughs> undisputed three is uh i think the movie that scott adkins often cites as like his proudest like physical achievement mm. in terms of like martial arts and stunt work on film um he was really pushed to his limits in this one this is another collaboration between him and um his kind of like one of his uh earliest directors that he worked with the most frequently basically the guy who quote discovered him at least in the film world isaac florentine um he also directed the second one but this one pairs scott atkins with uh, marco zoror uh, who is a chilean martial artist slash actor who's showed up in any number of major hollywood films uh, both of them are scheduled to show up in john wick uh, four um, which i'm super hyped for that's most anticipated of 2023 for me um but this was the first time the two of them worked together they'd work together again in uh savage dog a few years later um but there's a lot there's a lot of fantastic martial arts choreography in this movie you can really tell that scott atkins and everybody else was really really pushed to their limits like and you need to remember too that this is a very low budget film probably shot on a very hasty schedule um so when it comes to like executing these long takes of like 20 25 movements in one shot a lot of it was done out of necessity where it's like okay we need you guys to learn all the choreography and do all of it in uh 10 minutes <laughs> and like do it flawlessly 10 times so we can move on <laughs> um and they they all pulled it off um and it's not just the two of them either like this this movie is completely stacked with some of the some of the better contemporary western martial artists um of the time but um yeah uh if you're gonna check out an undisputed movie this is probably probably the the biggest recommend um although the fourth one uh boyka undisputed if you're just looking for a showcase of scott adkins it it really is him just like 24 7 in that movie this is a tournament film so it, it kind of like jumps back and forth between showing other performers so if you're only interested in seeing what he has to do that one might be the better pick but overall this is probably the strongest of the franchise um and as far as i know i, I actually don't know if this one got a blu-ray uh in in a our region um i'm not positive on that although i will point out i actually just uh acquired a french canadian blu-ray of one of scott atkins's films um the debt collector mm. um as far as i know there is a there is no uh, u.s blu-ray for that movie but i was just digging through a record store not even a movie store and i was like oh 
shit, French Canadian debt collector? Sign me up. <laughs> four dollars? Sure. Will will it work in my player? I don't know. Does it matter? Not really. Does uh does that French Canadian Blu-ray does it have both English and French on it? Um, because I know most Canadian releases do, but is that one specifically only French Canadian or? You know, I didn't actually get it past the menus. I actually had. Uh, prior commitment so I, I put it in the player to see if it would actually play and i can confirm it it does um but i'm curious maybe it probably does default to french yeah i'll, I'll be I'll, I'll have to report back <laughs> yeah just i bring it up because there's a uh uh podcast that i listen to and they're uh canadian and they have a big thing where they uh will specifically either travel over to the states because they live close to the border or they will order specifically from amazon.com so their blu-rays don't have french and canadian uh uh, excuse me english and french on the spine um because uh it is pretty ugly if you look at some of those canadian blu-rays they are pretty ugly having two languages on the spine like not not a fan of that i have to be honest not a fan that's having two official languages in your country can really uh fuck up your media collection yeah here let me show you actually it it does it is you know possessed of those particular symptoms so check this out yeah see that is pretty i mean hey no good thing you bought it but that's that's pretty gross (laughs) well i I already have the the dvd version of it yeah um but you know we're we're working we actually i actually am starting to reorganize the shelf folks at home you you can't tell this but none of this is organized it's all just like jam it in there Mm -hmm. (laughs) um i'm actually actually made a shrine to adkins where there's just like a shelf i like working on the complete filmography there's a couple of sketchy ones that are going to be kind of hard because not all of his films are available um in our region um i think I think they all have physical releases, but there are a couple that was, were never released here in the States. So mm-hmm. Thankfully, all of them are bad, <laughs> but that's not the point. Uh, we're going for full completion here. Um, but anyway, that was my yellow pick. Um, what's next, Brad? Is this green? Yeah, green. I don't. I actually don't have like a ton of greens, to be totally honest. Um, so this pick, I don't know, maybe... Uh... You'll help me out on this one because I I feel like I could be wrong, but I feel like you guys did a review of or well like a full episode on this, or you've just talked about it. For some reason, this movie makes me think of catching up on cinema. Maybe I'm way off on this, but uh, it is uh, from 1953. Go, going a little retro on this one. Finally, I have the Criterion release of The War of the Worlds which is kind of green on the front, but a very green spine, as you can see there. Um, and this one, I've only seen it the one time. It was the first time watched when I bought it. Uh, it's good. I I did like, uh, like the effects were a lot of fun, and I did like, you know, the setup, uh, the alien invasion setup was a lot of fun to watch. Um, I didn't think it was amazing. It, it gets very, uh, um, how do I say this, old-fashioned and kind of hokey towards the end um but i still think it's a it's a solid 50s sci-fi movie not amazing by any means but i think it is worth watching for those effects alone um and am i crazy did you guys do a full episode on this yeah actually we did boom Um, i knew it (laughs) yeah you got you have a decent memory brad yeah we uh we did do that it was a kyle pick 
Um, I had seen it previous uh, to that recording, but I think I agree with you on virtually every point there where it's like it, it does kind of turn into a little bit of like a, a boilerplate, like alien invasion film from the 50s, you know, atomic era uh, alien invasion film. But uh, those special effects are like holy shit tier, mm-hmm. um, especially for the time. Um, it's one of those movies that when you when you do see like the year that it came out, it's like, really, that's impressive. Um, but it, it's also one of those movies that and this is like one of those things that for me forgives a lot of flaws in a lot of movies is like if it if it begins really really strong sometimes that that makes up for everything and that movie does start very very well it's it's more towards the end where it starts to kind of devolve into just your your standard movie um with an ending that if you don't know it by now I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like, like, do you, like, have you existed on this planet for a while? Like, even as a kid, I knew where it was going. Like, this is before the Spielberg remake and everything. I was like, H.G. Wells, War of the Worlds, get together, read a book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, I, I remember reading about that one in my school library uh, in grade school. Uh, we had a, a sci-fi book that was all black and white photos, and it was it was like up to date for when it was published but that was only up until like the early 70s or something (laughs) which was kind of amazing like like a lot of my early exposure to like horror and sci-fi movies came from the school library just like pouring over the pages of things like that and um i remember seeing the photos of like the tripods and like the they had i think they had a shot of the alien's arm in there with the the veins and stuff coming up in there i was like ooh, that looks creepy i need to see that and like i asked my dad about it and he was like yeah that's a great movie you should totally watch it and then we watched it together and it was like oh it was okay <laughs> it's like i think i like them better yeah um, but that that's me personally like them is fucking awesome them is very high on my list of movies that I would absolutely love to see get remade someday. <laughs> so, yeah. War of the Worlds, they already did it, and it was already great. Yeah, I've never seen them. That's one uh, that's on my list. I need to I need to cross that off the list at some point. Yeah, th- those atomic era monster movies. Like I, I I've said this before on the podcast and stuff. Uh, I I used to have a VHS tape called um, Fantastic Dinosaurs of the Movies. Um, it was just a like a half hour 40 minute long vhs tape that was comprised of trailers um for old monster movies mostly dinosaurs but you know other like other large insects or arachnids or reptilicus was in there as well which i think is a dutch giant monster movie they also had gorgo which is the the brits answer to godzilla which is actually (laughs) a halfway decent movie um but that 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 tape was kind of my entry into the world of those particular kinds of monster movies outside of Godzilla of like who I was kind of obsessed with at that point in my life. So I need to thank my parents for getting me that. Yeah. Um, And it was nothing but trailers. So like, it was just like, I filed those, all of those away in my head as, as movies that I would like to see someday. And them was most certainly one of them. Um, I think war of the worlds may have been in there as well. Could be wrong. on that. I love the, uh, or am I at here? The disc art here? It's pretty good. Oh, wow. You can. It, it's rare when you see art that you can hear. Yeah. I can actually hear the. There's a particular sound effect uh, that plays whenever the Martians are shooting their shooting their laser beams in that movie. Yeah. Um, great pick, Brad. Uh, I think uh, 
Kyle may have picked up that Criterion disc. I'm not positive on that. I'll have to ask. I mean, speaking of Criterion, just uh, totally uh, didn't even mean to, but I, in their last, in their flash sale, even though this wasn't on sale, I did pick up uh, my first ever Criterion uh, shirt. Holy shit. Yeah, I had to, had to splurge. Um, unfortunately, uh, that did not stop them from recently laying off 20% of their employees, but um, I did buy the shirt. So hopefully that'll keep them going for a little longer. Yikes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's that's something I'll want to hear more about uh, next time we talk. Yeah. Right? Like, if, like, whenever we do another Blu-ray episode, you'll have to give me the full scoop. Yeah. Um, but that is... That's no good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that was your green pick. Um, so I actually have very few green picks. Uh, so this is going to be very quick and very easy for me. Um, very little decision making required here. Uh, so I have here um, a Blu-ray disc uh, from a very small publisher that I think is... It's like a sub-label or something. Uh, anyway, it's a Kraken releasing. They put out uh, Godzilla 1984 slash The Return of Godzilla. Um, and there's the cover art, which has horrible fonts, horrible arrangement. This looks cheap. Um, can confirm the image quality is actually fine, but the packaging... I'm, I don't know if that is Feast of Flesh... But I really hope it isn't Feast of Flesh, because that is one of the most overplayed fonts uh, that exists. And at this point, it's just inexcusable. But um, yes, this is from Kraken Releasing. And uh, this is, as far as I know, the only HD way uh, to get a hold of this particular film hmm. in the West. Um, this is from the Heisei era of the Godzilla franchise. Um, so the Criterion box set that's above my head there the big yellow thing um that is exclusively the showa era of godzilla which concluded in 1975 and this is 1984 um so criterion like that box set is just the cutoff date up to 1975 and the heisei era of godzilla films is available in hd um in the west except it's across mostly sony although they didn't have this one and i think uh Godzilla vs. Violante is, it's, I think, it was originally HBO on VHS. I, I do remember that, and I wouldn't be surprised if one of their subsidiaries or something still has the rights to that. So the first two movies in the in the Heisei era do not belong to Sony, and all the other ones do. Um, but yeah, this is a, uh, I want to say this might be a divisive Godzilla film. Uh, this is the 1984 version, which is the Japanese original, which does differ fairly significantly from the 1985 version, which is the U.S. version. Uh, that inserts a lot of additional footage of a uh, Orson Welles-looking uh, Raymond Burr, uh, who was, of course, in the original American version of Godzilla back in the day in 1956. Um, a lot of Dr. Pepper ads as well. <laughs> by the way. Um, I'm sure that will upset your buddy uh, who works for was it? Yeah, Coke? yeah. <laughs> not as bad as Pepsi, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, not quite on the same level, but still not good. Um, but yeah, apparently in the world of Godzilla 1985, uh, Dr. Pepper has a foothold uh, at the Pentagon <laughs> because there are many vending machines in the war room in that film. Um, as well as an insert shot of a, a Russian fella pressing a, a nuclear launch button 
because it was the American version of a Japanese film. It's like, well, I mean, we have an opportunity here to make them look really, really bad. <laughs> we shouldn't insert a shot of a finger pushing a red button to make it look like he did it on purpose. Whereas in the Japanese version, it's an accident. Mm. <laughs> Differences, they exist. Um, but yeah, this movie, um, if you're if you're into miniature effects, uh, there's a lot of really amazing stuff in here. I think this was... At the time, maybe even throughout the entirety of the franchise, the largest soundstage uh, that they ever constructed a cityscape for. Um, this was the first time they ever... They had skyscrapers in the movie. So mo the majority of the buildings that Godzilla is smashing into are way taller than he is. Uh, it's a magnificent soundstage. Truly a wonder to behold. Um, and this is also a solo effort from Godzilla. There is no opposing monster. This is the movie that's supposed to restore his scary uh, qualities. Like, this is a, a movie where you're meant to take him seriously as a threat. Like, he's, he's not here to save all the children and defeat the sludge monster and uh, defeat pollution as a concept. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, nor does he dance in this film. But, yeah, uh, really, really awesome uh contemporary effects for 1984 standards it was it was a high high effort uh from toho studios they really tried to make something special with this like i said the reputation of it is it's spotty like some people think it's really really good i i happen to like it some people think it's like eh, it tries it shoots for the moon and kind of misses the mark but yeah yeah it's uh, it's green I'll it is green. One. I mean, sounds just like Roland Emmerich's Godzilla, and if that's the case, I am in. Sign me up. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean Godzilla. Uh, definitely, that's a franchise I need to uh, I need to get into, and I've been waiting until I get that Criterion box set to uh, to dig in. But um, yeah, so is that Blu-ray? Like, is that still easily available for purchase, or because you said that's the only way to watch it in HD? Pretty easily uh i actually don't know um i haven't checked up on it since i got it like when it first came out because th that was a no-brainer for me like the only other ways i'd own i i owned that movie twice previous to this um the original u.s vhs with with the insert shot of the probably not russian fellow pressing that button um and all the dr pepper machines i had that vhs um i had a bootleg dvd um, with English subtitles. That was the first time I ever got to see the Japanese version of the film, the same one that's on the Blu-ray. Um, but yeah, this was a no-brainer for me. I'm a Godzilla fanatic, and I was like, oh, shit, Godzilla 1984 in H fucking D? Sure, why not? Yeah, yeah, I definitely need to uh, need to catch up on a lot of my older Godzilla films. Um, gotta get that Criterion set, what can I say? That's where it's, that's what's going to kick off the the whole marathon. Well, Godzilla is one of those things that's like it's so it's such a wide spanning franchise that I, f I feel like you can pick and choose whichever ones you want to watch. Like you can jump around the franchise. There's no there's very little continuity, like aside from certain chunks of it, like the Heisei era is does have nods to continuity. But having watched all those movies when I was like 11 years old can confirm it doesn't fucking matter <laughs> like you might miss a couple of details here and there but it's like they're gonna get to the fireworks factory eventually godzilla's gonna blow some shit up it's gonna be a good time so you know, 
I, I don't think you need to like go front to back on Godzilla. I think you can just like look up a list of the ones that sound most appealing to you and just jump in. That's that's the only way I do it. I gotta go. You go all in feet first, or you don't go in at all. That's the way. How many do I have to watch? I can respect. There is there what thirty some or something? Who knows? What there's probably about thirty. Yeah. Uh, at this point. So I mean, how many is that? If you're gonna watch it in a year, that's you know three a month, even less. That's not bad at all. I I mean not to not to get off track but like folks at home you need to be made aware a frequent guest of brad's podcast uh, mr santino uh, has taken a taken on the herculean task of consuming the entirety of one piece which is an anime series which is in the thousands of episodes and what's more he he is determined to do so within one calendar year yep one piece it one is, year one piece one <laughs> i feel like that's something you need to say like when you're at like a rope bridge like a rickety rope rope bridge <laughs> and you like push out push your buddy ahead of you it's like one piece one year <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah that i mean you're not trying to do that if you're trying to consume all the godzilla movies in a year it's it's nowhere near that bad so it is doable. yeah i'm still watching through all the bond movies before no time to die comes out um so i still need to uh, accomplish that task uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah because no time to die never came out yeah yeah we didn't t- we didn't talk no, about it no no it's not like it got delayed by a year so i had even more time to watch them all but you know <laughs> still working on it well, see, Brad, I had the advantage of having a household where the where my dad pretty much had the TV on twenty four seven, and we had cable, and he was into a, a, like Godzilla movies and James Bond. So, like for me, it it just kind of came naturally. Like if you had TBS or TNT lo- on long enough, mm-hmm. one of those is going to come up eventually. Yeah, <laughs> especially around October. TNT Monster Vision was a godsend to me personally because that was when that was when I got the TV. That was when they they were aggressively throwing Godzilla at me. He was inescapable. <laughs> gotta love it. You gotta love it. Yeah, thank you, cable television. Also like godspeed cable television <laughs> yeah yeah um, anyway uh is this what are you calling this i i was referring to it as cyan but what are you i mean it's kind of cyan i mean roy g biv i think they call it blue more but i mean it's not really blue so i call it whatever you want <laughs> i don't know it, it's it's the light blue there you go i'll be uh, these next three the colors are all kind of I don't know. I mean, they all kind of all go to whatever. Who cares? Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this is my cyan or my blue or whatever you want to call it. I don't even know if it really is that color. Um, but uh, it is a movie that um, I know that you have and I know that you own, but you're not going to pull it out. I know you don't have it pulled out because I see it sitting behind you. I saw it sitting behind you, Trevor. Um, unless you have two copies of it, but, uh, it it is, uh, John Wick, John Wick. I think this falls into the cyan enough. I mean, it's a little bit of a darkish cyan, but we're going to go with it. Um, this is the first John Wick. Uh, it is Blu-ray only because, uh, I was not buying 4Ks when, uh, this first came to Blu-ray, 
But now uh, we've talked about the John Wick franchise. You've already brought it up. I mean, it's been talked about to death. What is there to say other than for me? And I know you kind of disagree with me on this, but I think the first John Wick is the best so far because I like the simplicity of it. Um, I think the action is still great. It is a lot more simple and it's not as, uh, you know, bombastic. Like there's not as many action sequences as many action set pieces but the ones that are in here really work and i do just love the world building and again i love the simplicity of the story um i think that's what makes it my personal favorite of the genres because or of the uh franchise because while i do think yeah the action does get better uh the the plots and the new characters they introduce just really do nothing for me in two and three to the point where i really lose interest in between everything besides the action where this one I think across the board is pretty great um so yeah the first one is still my favorite although to be fair I haven't rewatched uh two and three so maybe I would like more on a rewatch but I'm excited for four as well yeah I I uh I mean I, I'm a huge fan of the John Wick franchise in fact uh I just came back from vacation I uh, went to Portland with girlfriend we went to the uh well i went to and brought her with me the portland retro gaming expo uh, and i got myself some overpriced old video games um and she watched me do that (laughs) (laughs) Um, but no she had a good time she discovered she loves pinball um but uh while we were there we went to the uh the gigantic bookstore powell's uh in portland um big fan of that i've been there i've been to portland many many times but um i got a book called uh they shouldn't have killed his dog. Oh, I like that. The un the complete uncensored ass kicking oral history of John Wick, Gun Fu, and the New Age of Action. Now, I'm not going to be surprised at all if this book completely sucks. Uh, that's just how a lot of these books end up being. So I I have my expectations very thoroughly held in check, but um, that just shows how much I'm interested in the franchise and what it means to action cinema as a whole like its contribution is felt far and wide like it it really did kind of change the game a little bit especially in terms of action choreography because we we kind of started this episode or at least i did uh talking about trends in cinema and how they're very fascinating to track um in the world of horror things move very very fast and you see a lot of a lot of things aping each other and trying to one-up each other like like the slasher genre and stuff where it's like oh this this one has so many more boobs in it or this one has like a a kill every two minutes as opposed to every 10 minutes it's like this one's insane um and in the world of like action and martial arts cinema it kind of the same deal where it's like somebody innovates something and then everybody else is like oh that's so awesome i want to try that i want to try to do that but maybe a little bit better or maybe a little bit different and in the case of John Wick, it really did introduce a new style of choreography that had been implemented previously, but had never been done so beautifully and so slickly, um, to the point that basically introduced a new school of action design, essentially. And of course, I've gone, I've gone on and on and on about 8711, now 87 North. Uh, they've they've kind of become like the kingpins of action cinema in Hollywood. Like they're in danger of maybe overplaying their hand a little bit. Where like there there can come a point where it's like it's overly saturated with a certain style or a certain or a certain 
like style of choreography where it's like okay all these movies are starting to look very samey now it's like that's that's when innovation needs to step in but as far as the john wick films like in terms of overall quality go they all have liabilities like as films like the first one and frankly almost all of them seem to peter out before the finale like before the final act, i they seem to peter would agree early. that the, the worst part of the first one is the ending 100 percent. oh it's terrible yeah. he, he gets in a he gets in a rainy fist fight with an elderly swedish man as far as i mm-hmm. remember it's like that's your final boss like it's like after all we've seen this fella do this is the final challenge and a lot of them tend to have that where it's like they kind of end on a whimper which is an odd structure they they very much tend to peak in the middle um but for me it's like i i i guess i have the privilege of, of viewing them not so much as films but as just exhibitions of action design um and for me personally when it comes to strictly that not not the story not the characters and whatnot when it comes to just action sequences and like execution in terms of choreography the second and the third ones really do up the ante considerably um and the third one like the opening 20 minutes of that movie are like some of the most fun i've had in a theater honestly um because it it really is like a every gimmick we can think of kind of thing like like smashed into the first 20 30 minutes of the movie uh the like the antique store knife fight in particular like we were just howling in the theater like it 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 shouldn't have been as fun as it was but it really was but um i'm just glad we have john wick because they up till now like we haven't gotten to the fourth one but up till now they they really do push for innovation and they really do try to bring new things to the table every single time they're at bat and when you look at the cast for the fourth one like it's it's just like this okay this is a movie made for trevor apparently (laughs) because it's fucking nuts like it's it's completely bonkers the amount of talent that's smashed into one movie in its fourth iteration it's like how did we get here that like I'm the most hyped for the fourth one. <laughs> Where it's like we have confirmed Donnie Yen, we have confirmed Scott Atkins, we have confirmed Marco Zoror, we have Hiroyuki Sanada. And those are just the people who we know were there. There may be surprises. Who the fuck knows? I'm not expecting them, but just those people? Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, the first John Wick, I, I, I will admit, I actually, I guess similar to one cut of the dead i actually slept on that movie uh, a little a little longer than i ought, ought to have um mm-hmm. it, it took a, a nudge from a co-worker for me to actually give it the time of day and actually check it out and i'm really really glad i did because um it's it's special uh, yeah it's, it's a it, it, at the time it was a very quaint small movie um, but holy shit it is blown up into like one of the most important action franchises that exists today mm-hmm. <laughs> um big surprise considering our our leading man is what in his mid 50s by now yeah i mean another reason why i might say this is my favorite is i did see it in theaters before there was any sort of like hype around it and it was kind of really i was like went in and like i think the reviews were still good so i was like oh yeah i've heard this is a good action movie but i'm like oh keanu keanu hasn't done anything like you look at keanu now people worship the man back then keanu was low he was low man on the totem pole. So I'm like, I don't know. I'll go see this, but I have low expectations and kind of blew me away. So it was a very pleasant surprise. So that certainly 
adds to why I uh, like that one the best. Yeah, discovering a film is always a special feeling that that does grant it some brownie points in terms of you know how you how you appreciate it. But yeah, that is actually a funny thing to imagine that I do remember that like Keanu was not his career wasn't what it is today like like his his overall public profile he may have been still known as like nice guy keanu but in terms of like his place in hollywood it was very uncertain at the time Uh, which Mm -hmm. actually may have been why it took me that long to watch that movie but again really glad that i did didn't see it in the theater though that would have been a treat yeah almost uh almost eight years to the day i saw it for the first time october 24th 2014 Almost wow. eight years to the day. You yeah, remember the date? Well, I, I've got my letterbox <laughs> pulled up. Oh, sure. <laughs> it's not like that was such a cherished moment that I marked it down forever. No, I just was curious. <laughs> the day John Wick entered my life. <laughs> okay, well, uh, so we're calling this a cyan or a blue pick. Okay, Brad, uh, I may actually need to ask you to give me a a, a Commodus thumbs up or thumb down to this one. Okay. Because if, if you, you do have veto power here, because this is a this is a stretch and I do have a better better candidate just in case. But here, you give me the thumbs up or the thumbs down. OK, so I have here uh, directed by what's his face. Um, <laughs> I actually can't remember. Um, this is to the four, which is oh, it's Dante Lam, Dante Lamb. And would you qualify this? It does have a gradient. Would you call this a cyan or a blue, or do I need to look for something more, more pure? Um, I'll come. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let it slide. I'm gonna let it slide. My John Wick one was a little on the, on the edge as well. Not quite as uh, much as that one, but I'll, I'm gonna give you this one. Okay. In the in the words of the immortal Mills Lane, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so yeah, this is to the four. Uh, which is the only cycling movie I own. Um, not a sport that means anything to me personally. <laughs> although, although I have seen a couple of cycling movies in my day. Uh, I think it was Breaking Away uh, was one I remember watching with my dad when I was a kid. It has like Dennis Quaid and I think the main character is the kid who is the guy who plays the adult version of Eddie Kasprak in uh, the TV version of It okay yeah if you know um fade to black is a horror movie that he headlined oh okay pretty sh- i didn't know that was him pretty sure i'm pretty sure that's the guy who was the headliner of breaking away mm-hmm. that was a that was a fun little movie it's a it's not it, it's about cycling a little bit but it's mostly about uh small town kids in a college town like feeling stuck and under like undervalued by the the college kids that come into their small town every year um anyway this this movie to the four uh, is a hong kong movie may actually be a mainline chinese production i'm I'm not positive the the star of it uh is taiwanese so he would speak mandarin uh natively but it's very very common in hong kong productions to just dub everybody just like oh you're hot let's just put a cantonese language track over you it'll be fine nobody will notice (laughs) but uh this movie's fun uh it's i think uh there's also uh a korean actor uh, who serves as like the co-lead in it as well uh beautifully shot uh i've talked about dante lamb uh previously with you brad a long time ago though so i wouldn't be surprised you can't remember but uh, i've always thought of dante lamb as like 
analogous to like like a a, a Michael Bay, um, like aesthetically anyway. Like not as many ass shots, like <laughs> not as many greased up people, and not as many asses uh, mm-hmm. crammed into the frame. Um, but like his style of color grading and camera movement in particular, and camera positioning, like he likes to put cameras in gimmicky places and swish and swoop and, and have like strategically timed edits for nothing but as, like aesthetic energy and momentum like there's no sense there's no rhyme or reason to it it's just it flows it looks nice um a lot of his films kind of have that quality to them and his place in the entertainment industry kind of he kind of like found himself in a similar position to michael bay where he would he did like boob comedies and like like gangster movies and stuff and then he would shoot them in this particular way and then at some point things changed the chinese government got interested in him and they said hey you you have a michael bay kind of style he does all those transformers movies they're mostly financed by the military dante lamb do some chinese propaganda movies for our military and he's like okay does it pay well <laughs> mm-hmm. so he made a couple of those they're they're fun like like they're, they are propaganda films but our our stuff is too but uh this movie is nothing special honestly but I will commend the cinematography and the editing. It does have a relentless energy to it that is high quality shit. Um, but it is about cycling. Um, and, you know, it's not exactly my favorite thing in the world. Uh, so it, it lost me a little bit on that part. But there is something about classic sports drama f- formula um, that is always going to hit me somewhere like i'm a sucker for sports dramas i know kyle isn't really big on them but like for me personally it's like it's a very comfortable format that i find to be very easy to slip into and enjoy does it make uh cycling exciting it does yeah actually like it, like again the way it's shot they really do make something that in my eyes seems somewhat mundane uh, on the outside they do make it seem thrilling and it has an energy to it they even inject like some artificial forms of danger in the forms of like crashes and like people slamming into rock faces and stuff it's you know it's kind of fun yeah (laughs) (laughs) does it have like a moment where before the big race somebody on their team gets injured in a crash and they have to rally together and you know for the (laughs) you've you've seen you've seen this movie before yeah And then they have a, I think it's a like a big endurance race at the end where they're in like a desert climate and like they have chapped lips and they're all like sweating their asses off and dying, dying on the bike. <laughs> it has that uh, Iceman and Maverick kind of rivalry going on throughout most of the story too. I think there's also a love triangle on top of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, the sports uh, formula though for sports movies, yeah, it it like that for a reason it works and uh i i do agree even the ones that are you know you can tell they're uh playing with your emotions in a very obvious way they can that's still uh they can still get to you they can still mess with you yeah no it it, there's like you said it's it's a reason there's a reason it's a genre unto itself speaking of which super hyped for creed 3 (laughs) yeah um Mm -hmm. we got it we got a trailer for that recently and can confirm very hyped yeah very very hyped yeah um anyway uh are we moving on to another blue like darker blue yeah yeah so dark blue or indigo i guess or whatever you want to call it um <laughs> this one uh it is a film that i just uh re-watched not too long ago film from my 
childhood. It is Small Soldiers. Small Soldiers, which I was very excited when it came out on uh, Blu-ray. Been a while. Directed by Joe Dante. Um, yeah, this one I watched quite a bit growing up. Uh, kind of came out at a good time for me. I was at a good age. And I think it's a lot of fun. It, it's uh, Obviously, it is aiming at a young audience like I was. Probably young males was the, the target demographic. And it definitely appeals to that age group. But I do think there's, like, even watching it now, you know, I like Joe, a lot of Joe Dante's stuff. And, uh, you know, the last couple decades, he hasn't really done anything great. Maybe this might have been his last really good film, in my opinion. But, uh, you know, there's obviously, you know, the idea of the military industrial complex and consumerism and, you know, all that stuff is pretty obvious. But uh, for a kid's movie, there are interesting ideas in here and it does get fairly dark at times as well. Um, You know, the the effects aren't like amazing today, but it kind of benefits from like the, um, you know, like the early Toy Story thing where the effects are mostly toys. So everything automatically always looks is supposed to look plasticky so actually like you know the lack of textures and early cg actually works you know to the film's benefit um so yeah i think it's it's a solid watch um you know some great uh um cast characters too um i know um kevin dunn you're a big fan kevin dunn is in here phil hartman uh tommy lee jones obviously is the voice of the main bad guy uh, so yeah, it's it's a it's a fun one. Kirsten Dunst, a young uh, Kirsten Dunst in here as well. It's it's a solid film. Um, David Cross, Jay Moore. I mean, just what a cast! What a cast! Yeah, no, it, it's a. I saw that one in the theater. That's one of the. I, I want to say that was like one of the last like quote kids movies I saw in the theater. Like that I would think of as something targeted largely towards younger audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, seems to seems to have made a comeback because i think when it came out it was underseen but in retrospect it seems to be have been reevaluated for the better because i i quite enjoy that movie for all the reasons you said because it is a joe dante film he does have experience with little what's it's trying to harm people <laughs> like those that particular subgenre of film uh, so it does have a, a quality to it that i think maybe a different director wouldn't have been able to present um, but a lot of it, a lot of its quality comes down to, like it, it being willing to be a little bit mean and a, and like a little bit scarier than you know your standard ch- children's film, because it is fairly violent. There is a part where the Tommy Lee Jones toy literally stabs a kid in the leg, mm-hmm. <laughs> like like he has a little knife. And he goes yeah, <laughs> like, like it's not even like a like a, a improvised weapon or anything. The toy came with a knife. Yeah. <laughs> And I think uh, I think Frank Langella uh, voices uh, is it Archer the yes the, the lead good guy yep. toy, um, and yeah Kevin Dunn and of course uh, you know uh, uh, Phil Hartman uh, we miss you every day Phil Hartman's the man um, and he's great in it um, but um, yeah the sequence with all the Barbie dolls is a classic it's a banger um, it really shows like. A twisted side to a children's film that you would not find in just any movie mm-hmm. I've, I've really wanted to check that movie out again uh since since they announced the blu-ray and i remember on the cinema speak podcast you were talking about being pretty hyped to have an excuse to reevaluate it and check it out again um i am too i still am because i 
I think I only saw it the one time in the theater, um, but I obviously somehow remember it like seemingly flawlessly because it it, it was good. Yeah, I liked it a lot. <laughs> yeah, it still holds up pretty well. I love uh, towards the end the uh, the makeshift vehicles like and the weapon. Just like you know, they do a lot of creative ideas. Like there's a lot of creative things they do with within the idea of toys going to war. The uh, the corn cob skewer where that one of them has a vehicle that shoots out corn cob skewers just you know clever fun things like that and uh, yeah i i quite enjoy uh quite enjoy this one obviously some elements of uh, i've been watching through the child's play movies obviously some elements of that potentially influencing this as well um but and and all the the dialogue of the soldier characters in particular is is it's cheesy but it's like expertly riffing on like all the gi joe marketing shit that was thrown at my entire generation and like they're they're just made up of stereotypes uh, from like war films and stuff things that especially as an adult you can probably appreciate even more now where it's like they're all caricatures and they behave as such mm-hmm. um and also i can't remember who composed it but i, I remember the theme music for the movie it was very, very good. It was very catchy. Yeah, I, I do remember that on my last rewatch as well. It is um, uncredited. No, uh, Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry <laughs> Goldsmith. Oh, talk about people we miss. Yeah, Mark. yeah. That actually, I, I've I have long said that he's he is what is missing in in Hollywood film scores. Like his sound, that the absence of Jerry Goldsmith's sound is. Oh my god! It, it it we feel it every every time a new movie comes out, just because it's like it's there there are those chunks of time where it's like okay, we get it, Hans, you're brilliant, but like you and your your people, you you need to like back it up. It's like the John Wick thing where it's like okay, this everybody's doing gun fu now. It's lost its novelty just a little bit. Let's mm-hmm. move on to something. Let's try to change it up a little bit. And like Hans Zimmer is by no means like a one note composer. But when he has like twelve understudies who, you know, also do the same shit he does, it just exacerbates the problem. But Jerry Goldsmith, like, fantastic composer. He gave us so many wonderful themes. But goddamn, Brad, I want to watch Small Soldiers now. <laughs> it's a good one. Hey, it is a good one. Ah, I'll have to see if the girlfriend would be interested in that one. I doubt she would be. <laughs> but I'll, last thing I'll say is like. It's like the good version of the movie Toys, if you, if you've seen that. I have not. Is that the one? With, isn't it Robin Williams in that? Or yeah, I, and yeah. John I've, Cusack. I've never seen that one. No. And uh, LL Cool J in one of his early roles, oh. I think. Um, yeah. Every time uh, the military people show up in that movie, this, the soundtrack goes hoo ha hoo ha. Yeah, Toys is. I I don't know who directed that. May, it may have been like um, Barry Levinson. Maybe? That sounds right. Yeah, but the production design, the mood—that is such a strange movie. I need to call Kyle. <laughs> I need. I need to get him on the line. I need to. I need to get toys on catching up on cinema because that movie lives rent free in my head just because of how fucking weird. It is. Yeah. Um, but it does actually. The reason I made like made a joke about it is just because it the broad strokes of the story are actually somewhat similar hmm. where it's like it's about a, a toy company that gets um there's like a power struggle and one person wants to use the toy manufacturing to produce weapons essentially 
very similar to small soldiers where it's like a, a military grade computer chip inserted into a mass manufactured action figure you guys might have to do a barry levinson month is it him did you check yeah it is him yep cool um anyway i'll uh i'll do my uh blue pick here um so i don't have very many of these either um i don't know what it is about blue actually that's a lie i do actually have quite a few blue spines um they're just uh blu-ray discs that have like really 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 generic spines to the point that's like i kind of disqualified them where it's like well i have a fuck ton of those like nothing about them is special (laughs) okay so i have a dvd here again brad sorry about that but um and also uh, a dvd that was given to me uh by a dear friend of mine still a friend of mine um in high school uh so this is one of those hideous like paper cases uh the the worst kind of dvd case that ever exists i have here uh sam peckinpah's the wild bunch which even the cover is mostly blue and the spine is as well um but yeah it's one of these hideous cases and also a a double-sided disc um i hate these cases so much (laughs) that takes me back I, i remember i remember i had some that were uh in a not so well ventilated spot that uh they they went to shit they rotted it was no good um but (laughs) this movie the wild bunch is uh it's funny because the subject has come up in the past not just this movie but just the subject of westerns in general has come up between brad and i a few times um and it's a it's a genre of film which is one of the most important and the one of the farthest spanning especially in american film history and yet it's kind of a blind spot for me uh and also brad as well a little bit you you probably have are more well versed in the genre than i am yeah, um, maybe maybe not by <laughs> well, much anyway the point is between the two of us we haven't seen that many westerns uh, I've, I've watched a shit ton of like neo westerns because if you try hard enough if you squint hard enough like queen eastwood you can transform virtually any movie into a western um if you look at it from a certain point of view um but this is one of my favorite westerns and it's also an atypical western in that it takes place in the 1900s like in 1910s like during world war one essentially i think it's post world war one or in the midst of world war one anyway it's it's basically the story of like the last cowboys is how i read it where it's like this is the end of of the era essentially and these are the people who occupy these roles as the last cowboys um the ending sequence is legendary uh brad i wouldn't be surprised if you know what the finale of this movie is just by reputation um it's often referenced by other films in fact i just watched a, a vestron video blu-ray of uh, extreme prejudice oh uh, which is a walter hill film um which straight up the finale is a riff on on the wild bunch um and there's no harm in that like there's no shame in that it's an awesome ending to a movie john woo is probably guilty of that as well quentin tarantino probably guilty of that as well nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with riffing on the masters but um this movie's great like i saw this when i was in high school i was i was fascinated with it again because i read about it in a book uh, in my school library and then uh one of my great friends uh heard me talking about it uh a lot a few times like at lunch or something and then like for a birthday or christmas or something he was like here 
here's that movie that you keep talking about but never watch <laughs> and i was like oh thanks i needed that and i'm really glad he did because uh i really love this movie and uh just holding it in my hand kind of makes me want to rewatch it what uh what studio did that do you do we uh, do we know is it uh on the dvd anywhere yeah, wait till i throw it on the floor Brad. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's uh warner brothers okay warner brothers yeah. yeah, could be a prime candidate for an upcoming 4K because I looked, the last Blu-ray came out like 10 years ago for this. So uh, I wouldn't, that's one that I could definitely see getting an upgrade. I don't know about you. I'm really hoping for that. Um, I don't know if like Sam Peckinpah has a reputation or anything. Like maybe he's a shit heel as a human being. Um, but I have noticed that like like it's one of those movies that's like, why is, why hasn't that gotten a better treatment in the modern age of physical media mm-hmm. because there's a reason i never upgraded it is because i remember a long time ago or something even checking if there was a blu-ray because i wasn't even sure i'd never seen it before and sure enough there is one but it's like bare bones as far as i know probably doesn't have great ratings um but yeah if they were to make a 4k of that fuck yeah i'd buy that i'd love to own i'd love to own a better quality print of that one because um, it is a special movie i really do like it a lot um, and like I said, it is like whether you've seen it or not, you've probably seen things that have referenced it in some way. Um, and yeah, it, it's a movie that I'm really glad I, I had the privilege of seeing at at that point in my life, like like in my teens. Like I, I feel like I learned a lot from it. Yeah, and it it is very blue. It is at least based on the <laughs> the artwork there. So yeah, good pick. Yeah. Yeah, Brad. Brad's all about the games. He's a, he's a rules man. It's like it's like that's all well and good, but as long as like it better be fucking blue. You gotta you gotta play to win. You gotta play to win. We're not loosey goosey over here. <laughs> okay, Brad. Last round, I think. Uh, are we going full purple? Yes, full purple or violet. If you're gonna Roy G. Bivet. Um and this one. Uh, you know, another franchise that you could lean on for this Rainbow Roundup. You could honestly almost make a whole rainbow out of all these in that every entry is given a distinct color. Um, and the, one of these is given purple, violet. And I'm talking about the Fast and Furious franchise. And it just so happens that the purple one is my favorite of the bunch, and it is Fast Five. Fast Five, <laughs> which I'm... Did I steal from you? Did I steal this one out from under you? No, no, you didn't steal it, but um, I, I do have yeah. it. Like, it is there. <laughs> yeah, don't... I haven't upgraded uh, to the 4K, um, but I do really like Fast Five. Obvi- I mean, it's not like that's, like, a groundbreaking thing to say or whatever, um, but it definitely... Cause I followed the franchise. I've I've never like not followed the franchise. Like I don't think I saw Too Fast, Too Furious until much later. But aside from that, um, I saw the first one pretty soon after it came to. It was probably DVD by then. Um, same with Tokyo Drift. I saw number four in theaters, and then number five, and from then on out, I've seen them all in theaters. And it really is number five. That there was that feeling of like it all just kind of clicked and they realized what these movies needed to be and the action they've maybe had action that's maybe surpassed it since but uh that feeling of you know adding the rock in the mix i you know i've got 
I've got shit to say about The Rock that I bring up in our review of Black Adam, but adding him into the mix with the Fast and Furious crew was a huge get. Um, I like that this is it's got a heist movie element to it, um, and it, it's a lot of fun. I I really like this one. Uh, Furious Seven is is quite good as well, but um, definitely Fast Five still holds the bar by a little bit for being the best of the franchise. Um, and, uh, I don't, I don't see it, uh, getting knocked off that pedestal anytime soon, but maybe, uh, maybe one of the, one of the final two will do it. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot, there's a lot to process. I'm going to try to <laughs> slow it down a little, not like I did with John Wick where I just word diarrhea there, but <laughs> <laughs> I think I had a stroke or something live on the webcam, <laughs> but I'm going to try to slow it down. I'm going to try to process this one. Yes, the addition of The Rock was the extra spice that that the franchise needed. Like he does, he did bring something very, very necessary, in particular at that juncture in the franchise. Um, two, the international subtitle for the film is Rio Heist, so very appropriate <laughs> that it has a heist in there. But um, three, yeah, I I agree with you one hundred percent. That that's that is the point when I actually started to give a shit about the franchise because I had friends in my orbit who, who were fans of the series who kept telling me like, Oh, Tokyo drifts. Great. It's like, you just like initial D like you, you just like Japanese racing downhill. <laughs> like you, you, it's just kind of like that other thing. That's way better that you like. Mm-hmm. And that's why you like that. Um, but like the first fast and the furious, I remember my mom was furious when we rented that because somehow my brother got it through his head that he had heard good things about it. And then my mom was like, okay, fucking fine. We'll rent it. And she's like, who told you that was good? <laughs> like, she was very upset. Wow. And then Too Fast, Too Furious, uh, me and my college roommates had a lot of fun laughing at. We had a lot of fun riffing that movie because it's t- straight terrible. Yeah. As far as I remember, it has like a talented director. Is, is that like John Singleton or some shit? I think you're right. Like, that sounds right. I think it had like a, t- it had talent backing it and it is a, it's a clown shoes effort in a lot of ways. Like they, they even fucked up the car stuff where it's like, it's mostly CGI. And as was the style at the time, we got to put fucking LEDs on the bottom of all the cars to make it look cool. It's like, no, that makes it look worse. What are you doing? And also it's CGI. So it's not like, there's no tension. There's no danger. And also throwing more cars on the screen doesn't make it better. It just makes it more cluttered. And also there's that scene that my roommate and I, we, we referenced countlessly because like Paul Walker has like an ejector seat and there's a dude holding a gun to his head and he's watching Paul Walker like finagle the button and the guy keeps pointing the gun at him saying, what are you doing? And Paul Walker like shoots him this look like a people's eyebrow or something <laughs> and the camera zooms in on him. And the guy says, what are you doing? <laughs> and then he presses the button and shoots him out like Goldfinger style. It, mm-hmm. it was completely ridiculous and stupid. Um, and yeah, Tokyo Drift, it's it's pretty good. Um, I'll I'll say that much. It's it's not half bad. It's there's a reason it was like a complete like cul-de-sac for a very long time though because it's very divorced from the rest of the series. Four was just fucking wonky. Where it's like, okay, the UFC's popular. Let's have uh, Vin Diesel do an armbar. And Gal Gadot is not yet a thing, so nobody cared until a few years later. <laughs> but yeah, Fast Five was... That was when I actually gave a shit about the franchise. 
and I was actually really hyped when they kept doing it and they kept delivering. Um, but I think you might be right. I think that is also the peak mm-hmm. <laughs> where it's like, it was still really good for, for a couple of movies after that. Like six, I maintain is very, very good. Um, brilliantly storyboarded and executed finale. Like the, the cross cutting, something that normally bothers me when you're showing multiple things happen concurrent to each other. Um, it's done like seamlessly. It's beautiful. Uh, in the, the whole airplane finale of that movie seven it's it's good but it's also re- it's it, you know haunted by what the specter of paul walker um it, it's it, there's issues with watching that movie that are unfortunately inescapable for me personally just because I, I have a keen eye for certain details that are just bothersome um also tony jaw is mostly wasted in that one which is that's a no-no you can't do that <laughs> tony jaw is a blessing to any production you have him on um and then from there on it's just kind of like mediocre like everybody's just getting older and trying less and now we have situations where the rock and vin diesel can't be on the set together and it's really fucking with the the groove man uh-huh. <laughs> like like the vibe of some of those later ones like the eighth one is just like something something is amiss and it has to do with bullshit on-set drama that we aren't really privy to but you know at least we get to see vin diesel sing into a cell phone every once in a while that's always (laughs) wonderful (laughs) vin diesel sings tyrese cries (laughs) tyrese crying into his cell phone i guess is a blessing but um yeah fast five is great um i haven't watched it probably since it came out but uh, i have re i have rewatched uh the rock and vin diesel slam into each other numerous times because that scene is tremendous like the choreography of it is like chef's kiss where it's like you have two human human monster trucks just just do this yeah just do this for three minutes and we're all (laughs) we're all golden like we're all happy like don't make it any more complex than that and also have make sure to have vin diesel go super saiyan twice in the same fight because the rock keeps fucking with his stuff First, the rock fucks with his car, so he goes, ah, Super Saiyan 1. And then he, like, mean mugs his sister or something. He's like, ah, Super Saiyan 3, except he has no hair. So I guess his eyes turn green. <laughs> but that's kind of the extent of it. Ah, Fast and Furious. I, are there two more on the horizon? Is that the plan? I think that's, it's like the 10th one is going to be split into two parts or something like that. I don't oh, know. But fuck off. <laughs> I believe it's two more, yes. Is is Universal in dire straits or something? Like, do they have some problems? Uh, like financially or <laughs> creatively, financially, anything like that? Creatively, probably. Um, but I, I think uh, <laughs> undoubtedly, I think financially they're doing all right for themselves. I mean, say what you will about uh, what was it? Uh, Dominion. I think it was a pretty big hit. So. Yeah, I'm sure that made money. Minions, but... yeah, I mean they're they're doing fine. Okay, yeah, I forgot about minions. They're they're fine. They're they're totally fine. They could they could make they could eat two other studios off the profits of yeah. minions. They're fine. Okay, well, thanks for pulling that so I could talk at you about Fast and Furious. Happy to do it <laughs> about about Cargo Fast the movie. Um, I don't care at all about cars, by the way. Just so, just so we're a hundred percent clear. Like, like it's not a selling point for me in action cinema. Mm-hmm. But they, the things that they do in those movies are quite fun, and I do actually appreciate that they got wise to the 
they got wise to the absurdity of their own franchise. They did jump the shark at some point. Like they're currently at that phase with the franchise where they're too aware of the discourse surrounding the franchise where it's like they're they're reading the Reddit too too closely. Where they're they're winking at us, they're doing the Marvel humor now, where it's like, stop that. Just make just do the movie. Um but I did like where it's like I think there's a an offhand line of dialogue or something where it's like, don't let them get in the cars. <laughs> it's like, why? It's like, it's because it's their superpower. <laughs> like, if they get in cars, they can defy physics. Mm-hmm. Like, physics mean nothing if Vin Diesel is in a moving vehicle. <laughs> it's, it's his Iron Man suit. In fact, oh, it's equal idea. He just, <laughs> I mean, Universal, it's it's Paramount, right, that owns Transformers? Yeah, yeah Paramount has, yeah, Fuck. yeah. Oh, there's your crossover. Vin Diesel hops into Optimus Prime. I got family. Yeah. <laughs> or no, Optimus Prime has to say that. I have family. <laughs> I can see it. I can see it. Uh, <laughs> okay. So uh, my purple pick. Uh, is going to be a fun one. This is actually still in the shrink wrap. Oh, wow. Uh, I haven't opened this. Uh, it's a DVD uh, of a movie that I would love to rewatch, like, tonight. I mean, for fuck's sake, it's Halloween season. This kind of movie is perfect. But the girlfriend is not okay with the subject matter, I don't think, anyway. Um, at least from my experience in living in the same home with her. I'm intrigued. Uh, so, <laughs> it's not. it's nothing special. It's um anyway uh this is my purple pick and it is arachnophobia ah yes yes and it is quite purple and actually the the spine like the the color of the spine and the text makes me think of nothing but trouble or like charlotte's yeah yeah a little bit yeah i have like i have like some weird memories of that but yeah this is arachnophobia this is an amblin entertainment production uh, so it does have some Spielberg qualities to it, and this is directed by Frank Marshall. Um, and this movie's wonderful. I I love this movie. I used to watch this movie a lot when I was a kid, and I'm mostly terrified of spiders. Same here. Uh, but this movie, do- this movie doesn't scare me at all. I I adore this movie. It's mostly fun for me. It's it's a <laughs> Buena Vista home entertainment. <laughs> so Disney's involved too. Um, but yeah, this uh this movie has a wonderful sense of humor. Jeff Daniels. This is kind of one of my the beginnings of my love affair with Jeff Daniels. I've always loved Jeff Jeff Daniels and Richard Dreyfus. When I was a little kid, like four or five fucking years old, for whatever the fuck reason, I latched onto Jeff Daniels and Richard Dreyfus. I got my mom to I got my mom. She didn't do the like it wasn't part of school. This wasn't like an educational outing. I got my mom to take me to go see Mr. Holland's opus in the fucking theater. Wow. <laughs> because I just liked Richard Dreyfus, And she's like, you like old ass Richard Dreyfuss? He was old in the 90s. What the fuck? <laughs> I, didn't even, I, I didn't even want to watch that. I didn't want to watch that movie when we watched it in school, let alone. Like I said, like I think most kids in the 90s probably saw that as part of school, yeah. like an educational thing. For me, I asked to be taken to go see that. <laughs> anyway, Jeff Daniels is in this, and he fucking rocks. He's great. He's hilarious. Uh, he, has a, he has a wonderful sense of humor, uh, clearly seen on the screen here. Uh, we also have Julian Sands, and uh, probably most important, though, John Goodman. Mm-hmm. John Goodman has a small role in this, but it is 
fucking hilarious. Like, he steals the show as Delbert in this. Like, I'll show all the back here. Like, folks at home, I know it's hard to see with the reflection of the shrink wrap, but he's up He's up there in the top corner uh, wearing his best Ghostbusters outfit, if you will. Um, I like the quote the on the back of the box. It's great. <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a quote from you, Brad. <laughs> that's a that's a Brad review. Um, that that is fucking sad, though. Like, folks, I don't know if you saw that, but it's great. Thrills and comedy. That's fucking sad. I mean, like you, some motherfucker got paid to write that. Yeah, like we we do two two three hour podcasts, and this fucker writes it's great. <laughs> And he gets paid. He gets to keep the lights on by saying it's great. Fuck that guy. Fuck NBC TV New York. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, anyway, great pull quote. Have you seen this one, Brad? Oh yeah, I I own it. Uh, was a childhood staple. Um, I think I did watch it uh, taped off television um, when I was younger. That's how I mostly watched it, but. Uh, yeah, uh, I do disagree with you, though. It does, uh, that movie does, I don't know what you said, it didn't scare you or something, or it didn't bother you? That movie does bother me. Um, <laughs> I, that movie, la- last time I watched it, I was squirming watching that thing. Um, yeah, I do not like spiders, but it, it's it's a great film. Uh, no, I, 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 in real life, I'm mostly scared of spiders, but I've, I've, been put on deck to handle enough spiders in my 35 years of life that i think i'm actually starting to get to the point where i'm mostly indifferent unless unless they're big enough that you can see the details of all their parts like if i if i can make out all all the individual eyeballs if i can see the head attached to the ass like if it's not just a, a shape like if i could see head attached to ass because they don't have a waist brad it's a it's literally a head attached to an ass (laughs) <laughs> that's how you know they're evil <laughs> but if i could see that on a spider we may have some problems but beyond that i'm mostly okay with them i will say uh trevor jones uh, does the score for the movie and his core melodies it's like this this brooding kind of uh i don't know what instrument it is but it the the like the major spider in it has a theme music that's really memorable um, but the main thing is uh, the finale of the movie is like one of the most epic orchestral arrangements I, I remember hearing as a child. And you should look it up, Brad. I think it's I think it's called like the cellar or something. And it's the piece of music that plays when Jeff Daniels falls into the cellar and he has the confrontation with the king and queen spider, as they call them. And it, it's like this epic orchestral arrangement that's like if you picture in your head the concept of man versus beast <laughs> it's it's what would what the music would be to accompany that and then you watch the movie and it's jeff daniels dumb and dumber's jeff daniels pitched in mortal battle with a fucking spider yeah <laughs> it's great i love it the finale of that movie is it's hokey but holy shit is it entertaining i I'm going to get the girlfriend to watch this. Like she she is petrified of spiders, but I love this movie so much. My grandma watched this movie with me and she hates she hated spiders too. I yeah, I could never get my girlfriend to watch that. Never. Never. I've tried. She got it. It's great. It's so great. Yeah. It's like 
It's like I love you so much. I will I will break the shrink wrap on this five dollar DVD. <laughs> Do you yeah. understand what this means to me? I'm I'm tearing the shrink wrap for you. <laughs> you better watch this fucking spider movie. <laughs> okay, yeah. Brad. Well, um, would you care to assemble uh, Voltron uh, in the form of your stack of movies? Yeah, and, uh, we'll have a our last round of show and tell here i guess uh hang on how am i am i is this the right yeah that's the right way yeah it's uh red orange yellow green I know colors fuck off so there let's see i got mine get a good look at it there oh hang on i'll give you a single yeah single there we there go. go bada bing bada boom that's beautiful brad yeah, it came together pretty nicely, I have to say. Even though I took a couple of years, but mine's not as beautiful as yours. Um, but it's not a contest. I'm surprised. I mean, this I... guy, you were hyping up how beautiful. You're like every single color is pristine. There's no way, like uh, I mean, this guy. I thought yours was gonna be like well, ki- ki- you know, seven Brad, kill some... bills. <laughs> I mean, at some point. A conversation had to be had as well, though. So I, I, I kind of made some of these choices just based on what I could say about them. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's it's not as aesthetically pleasing as yours, but uh, okay. Here I'll show off mine. And there it hey, is. very nice, very nice. It looks like candy. I think yeah, I think it <laughs> looks good, man. Yeah, it's not half bad. Uh, it, the two the four probably needs to be swapped out. In fact, I'll do that right now just to cheat because I can do that. Um, swap it out with something a little more color appropriate. And there it is. Ah, there we go. Okay. All right. Yeah. Got my Evangelion 3. Th- I'm not going to try to read that. The the titles of all the Evangelion movies are just... It's, it's yeah. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Ask, ask Santino. He might know. <laughs> I don't know how this shit works. Um, anyway, beautiful. That was that was a really fun concept, Brad. Just so we're clear, folks at home, Brad was the one who came up with the idea of Rainbow Randolph. I mean, Rainbow Roundup. Um, and this was awesome. I'd actually love to revisit this concept again because that was a that was a unique challenge that got us to examine some stuff that. You know, I, you know, we do repeat ourselves every once in a while on the show, but I'm pretty sure a lot of the stuff we talked about today was stuff we'd never talked about. Yeah, definitely one that would be easy enough to redo, too. I mean, I might just I might yeah. just start buying Blu-rays that are cyan, just get ready for it, specifically just for the color. I mean, that is, that is you know, a potential uh, problem with the, with doing this particular format is you start looking at your shelf and it's like, oh, I'm getting kind of thin on slang. It's <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, oh, I better get some more reds. <laughs> it's like the balance is off. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, folks at home, that was the Tales from the Shelf uh, episode of Rainbow Round- Roundup. Rainbow Randolph is what I, I just keep wanting to say. Uh, death smoochie folks watch it it's great don't let the critics tell you otherwise i love that movie um but before we go uh dear listeners and uh, viewers uh 
I'm going to let Brad take uh, center stage for a second here so he can tell y'all where he can find him and uh, where you can find him and his super awesome podcast. Yeah, it's the uh, Cinema Speak podcast. Uh, so we're on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you find podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at the Cinema Speak, on Instagram as Cinema Speak Podcast, and on YouTube as Cinema Speak. And then you can listen on the web at cinemaspeak.libsyn.com. Very nice. Uh, you got any YouTube videos in the pipe right now, Brad? I've got uh, one recorded. Uh, it's just a matter of editing it. Um, but uh, it'll be a Blu-ray specific. I mean, they're pretty much all Blu-ray specific. So, But uh, Blu-ray label specific uh, video if I ever get around to putting it together. Well, very much looking forward to it. And uh, look forward to uh, Brad's review of Black Adam. Uh, later this week on the Cinema Speak podcast. I, for one, am looking forward to that because that is not a movie I plan on watching, but it is a movie I'm very curious about. Yeah. So, Brad, thank you for uh, taking that particular bullet for me. I had to take <laughs> one for the team. Yeah. Well, I'm way to go. Appreciate <laughs> it. Um, but anyway, uh, as for myself uh, and catching up on cinema, uh, folks at home, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other Catching Up on Cinema content, you can find all of that collected on website at catchinguponcinema.com you can also find us on the social medias on the instagram at catchinguponcinema as well as the twitter at catchingcinema so feel free to hit me up at either of those Uh, and the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine including bitcade so fucking google it that being said thank you so much for listening and we will catch you next time